And we have reached the halfway point of the Ohio State and Big Ten season here on the Hangout in the Holy Land podcast. Welcome back. Uh, it is currently Wednesday, leading into Indiana, which is suddenly the biggest game of the Ohio State Buckeye football season. And I'm joined by my co-host, Gene Ross. Gene, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, it's it's been a wild ride. It's crazy to say that we're midway through the Ohio State season when the Buckeyes have played three games, but that's the reality of it. That's where we are. And, you know, we've got a lot to talk about. Indiana week is now the marquee week of the season because it looks like the rest of the, the slate is uh, not great in the Big Ten. So here we are. Now, if you told me that Ohio State's leading rusher halfway through the season only had a little over 200 rushing yards, which uh, Masters Teague sits at a uh, cool 211 right now, I would say that you're crazy and this is a terrible year for Ohio State football. Uh, this is a terrible year for a lot of reasons, but none of them have anything to do with Ohio State football yet, thankfully. Uh, however, it has been a uh, it's been a crazy year, I think, for Ohio State and just about everyone in the uh, Big Ten Conference. And this weekend was uh, clearly no exception. Uh, we saw a bunch of wild results that have sort of been a continuation of the crazy, tumultuous uh, season. Just not in, not only in the conference, but in college football in general. Uh, Friday night got ki- that kicked off a little bit with Minnesota going down to Iowa, thirty-five to seven. Uh, in what has been a continued free fall for the Gophers uh, that I think might strike pe- a few a few people as somewhat surprising. Minnesota, I think, was definitely projected to be one of the better teams in the uh, Big Ten West this year. Um, Michigan State got shut out against Indiana. That was a little bit more predictable, but I don't think anyone expected that the uh, second half of that game would uh, – see no points scored by either teams and that uh, the leading receiver for Indiana Freifogel would post over 170 receiving yards in the first half. Uh, The big surprise, obviously, this weekend was Wisconsin absolutely trouncing Michigan in the big house 49 to 11. Uh, As Ohio State fans, obviously, we're we're, we love to see Michigan get blown out. But at the same time, you it does feel like that rivalry starting to lose a bit of its luster, uh, but particularly this year when Michigan, who should have been gunning more towards the uh, top of the Big East now appears uh, poised to tumble down into the bottom half of their division. Uh, Meanwhile, Northwestern keeps rolling strong as they took down Purdue in West Lafayette 27-20. Illinois beat Rutgers by a field goal, so barely squeezing it out there. And uh, Nebraska continuing to uh, turn turn a few heads and getting a big win over Penn State, which drops the Nittany Lions to 0-4. And, of course, as you're probably aware, Ohio State uh, had their game canceled against Maryland, which uh, we were very much looking forward to for various reasons, but unfortunately – did not materialize, and now the Bucks had a basically an impromptu buy uh, heading into their game against Indiana. So, Gene, given the uh, wall of words I just hurled at you of uh, disappointing and surprising Big Ten results, which of those would you say surprised you the most this past weekend? Yeah, it's been one heck of a year in the Big Ten, and we, you know, we've seen that across the college football landscape. Everything is everything that's up is down. Everything that's down is up. You know, it's it's a really weird year. I don't know if COVID has anything to do with it, but it just seems like you know the weird stop and go training camp has really altered the landscape in the Big Ten for sure. You know, you talked about Minnesota just getting absolutely murdered by Iowa, and I mean the the Gophers are not rowing the boat anymore. That ship has sunk. 
Uh, their defense and special teams are both atrocious. Tanner Morgan is just staring down Rashad Bateman on every play, and that's his only source of offense, and that's how you get a 35-7 to score there. But other than that, I think really the main takeaways from this weekend are just how bad Michigan is. And now, I mean, Michigan fans came into this weekend saying, I mean, came into this year being like, Joe Milton's the truth. He's the next, he's going to compete for the Heisman. And now they have a quarterback controversy going into next week. Don't even know if he's going to start the next game. He's thrown multiple picks in every game. He threw an awful pick against uh, Wisconsin, either the first or second drive where he just threw it directly in the face of a linebacker. And he just, he has not looked good. He's not hitting throws. Michigan's defense is awful. You know, Dr. Blitz over there is doing his thing, trying to run press man and all these things with players that clearly aren't able to do it. So Michigan's a dumpster fire. Wisconsin looks really good. Graham Mertz is really good. Wisconsin has a quarterback for the first time in a while. So that'll be interesting to watch. And, you know, this weekend has really developed into uh, battles in both divisions for potentially the t- the title in each division. You have Ohio State and Indiana battling for Big Ten East supremacy, and then you're going to have Wisconsin and Northwestern battling on the west side. And Northwestern's looked really good in their own right this year. Their defense is looking good. Peyton Ramsey has got a had a good start over there for their offense turning things around. And so Pat Fitzgerald has them rocking, and that'll be a good game between them two as well. But, you know, uh, Penn State, free fall, I think they completely gave up on James Franklin. I don't think they're as bad as they're playing, but I think they're just, after their 0-2 start they're just so dejected and they've got no juice remaining so I don't know what's going to happen there uh James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh are really having a race to see who could get fired first this year and it's I mean to their credit they're doing a great job so I mean yeah the Big Ten's a dumpster fire and I don't know what to make of any of it you know Illinois Rutgers was exactly what you'd think Illinois Rutgers was so that's that's literally the only game of the weekend (laughs) that kind of played out as you'd expect. I guess Indiana-Michigan State, too. I think Michigan State's really bad, but even they beat Michigan, so who knows? I am a little bit surprised that Greg Schiano relented to uh, Lovey Smith, given the way that both of those two teams have been trending this year. But, uh, again, we're not paying you know a ton of a considerable attention to Illinois and Rutgers. Something that was kind of a running theme on when I hosted the Burnt Down the Big Ten podcast last year uh, on Land Grant was – one of, one of the leading topics we had during our preview show was whose seat is hotter going into last college football season? Is it Jim Harbaugh or James Franklin? And the heat wasn't necessarily turned up on either one yet. And it's it's been funny for me to watch this season play out just because I, I, I can see now that, you know, we were maybe a year early with that topic given the way the season has unfolded. And um, – I, I remember last year when I, I thought that Harbaugh was starting to lose the team, and you, you kind of got that sense uh, just in the early stages of last season. But when they really turned it around was in their game against Notre Dame, which was in prime time, uh, their biggest game of the season to that point, and uh, they absolutely humiliated uh, the Fighting Irish in the Big House. It was a real rainy game. It didn't really feel like Notre Dame wanted to play beyond you know the opening quarter. Uh, but they, it really felt like that Harbaugh was able to turn his team around at that point and kind of, you know, seize the reins again. But I always got, you know, and we know because we're Ohio State fans, uh, the guy is just kind of a fundamentally weird dude, and it's kind of hard for him to relate to a lot of his players. And I, I just for where I'm standing, and you know, I, you know, body language expert over here, but I kind of felt like something with this with Harbaugh losing the team to the tune of a 49-11 loss to Wisconsin was going to happen sooner rather than later. And I honestly thought it was going to happen soon as last season. So I can't in good conscience say that was the most surprising thing for me this weekend. Going into this season, 
there were a lot of people that thought Michigan State was going to be bad. But, you know, there's that phrase, the rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Well, the rumors of Michigan State's demise haven't been exaggerated enough. They have, I mean, one of the most laughably poor offenses I can remember. They are the new Northwestern with Mick McCall. They cannot move the ball. They, they, Their quarterback that they started the game with, Rocky Lombardi, last week had nearly as many interceptions as he did completions before he got pulled. I, they're... To get shut out at home against Indiana, who granted is if you I, I think the worst thing you can say is that they're overperforming, but even if you are saying that, most of that is on the offensive end. To get shut out by Indiana's defense at home is I don't know where the floor is for Michigan State. They're gonna bottom out in the basement at this point. I mean, they are looking really, really bad in the wake of Mark D'Antonio leaving. And I don't, I don't know where this program bottoms out at this point. And I think that that is probably the most surprising drop-off this season is just how far and how quickly Michigan State has fallen. Yeah, and I think um, you know there's a legitimate chance that Michigan State's only win this season is that game against Michigan. I think they're that bad. I think they are the probably the worst team in the Big Ten, and that's just you know that's an even bigger knock on Harbaugh. And just to give you kind of a a sense of where Michigan comes in that scenario, you know. Ohio State is a bigger favorite over a top 10 Indiana this week than Michigan is over Rutgers. Michigan is only a 10-point favorite over Rutgers. And Ohio State's about, last I checked, they're a 21 or 20-point favorite over Indiana. So that just goes to show where Michigan is. And the fact that they lost to that Michigan State team that, like you said, got shut out at home against Indiana. And, you know, to Indiana's credit, their defense has been good, but they're not shut out at home good. And, I mean, even in that game, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Indiana on this podcast, but... I mean, Michigan State's defense wasn't terrible. They let up 24 points, and that was all in the first half. Indiana didn't score a second, uh, uh, a single point in the second half. And so, I mean, their defense did enough to keep them in that game. But like you said, their offense is just so laughably bad that they just couldn't even move the ball. They just kept turning it over. And it's just, it's ugly in East Lansing. It really is. I that that I know you're the the lines guy and the the one with all the betting knowledge between the two of us, but that little nugget you just offered up between uh, the Ohio State over a, a top ten team versus Michigan against Rutgers was uh, brilliant. That just blew my mind. So I had to I had to restate the obvious there. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, but bringing it back to Ohio State, who you just briefly mentioned, we are at the midseason point now. Um, so before we start dissecting too much Indiana's recent performance against Michigan State leading into the, the uh, game against Ohio State this weekend, just kind of curious, would, in terms of, you know, we're evalu- it, it's tough to evaluate a team after only three games, but through this stretch right now, who would you say in your mind is overperforming the most relative to preseason expectations and then, you know, the counter of that, who would you say is not quite measuring up to what we expected uh, heading into 2020 on Ohio State's uh, side of the ball? Yeah, and so, you know, it, it's like you said, it's tough to you know, really gauge a team in three games. I really wish that Ohio State would have had this last game against Maryland. I think it would have been a really good test against a good passing offense leading into this Indiana game who has a good passing offense. So I really would have liked to see them against Maryland. I think that would have gave us a lot better sense of how just how good this Ohio State defense is because I think we know how good the offense is. I mean, the run game hasn't been great, but but the passing game has just been so incredible that we kind of just assume that that'll come along eventually. But I think my biggest overperformer so far has probably been Pete Werner and like the rest of the linebackers as a whole. 
And I know Pete Werner was he you know, like one of the one of the top dudes on last year's defense, but he doesn't really get a lot of credit because of the the Chase Youngs and Jeff Okudas around him. But Pete Werner has been really really solid for Ohio State this season. In a season where a lot of guys are missing tackles, Pete Werner has not. I mean, he had that one tough tackle against Rutgers where the guy like rolled over him, but that's not really his fault. But he's been he's been on it. He's been making the right hmm. cuts. He's been in the right place at the right time to make plays. He's making the tackles, and I think the linebackers as a whole have done a really good job this year. You know, Ohio State in the run game on defense has not really allowed much of anything, and that's a testament to the linebackers and the defensive line, but I think mostly the linebackers, especially once it gets to the second level, that Pete Werner and those dudes have just really been balling out. I think they're they're a lot better than maybe people had expected as, you know, maybe last year's weakest part of the defense. I think they've been one of the strongest this year. And then to, on the flip side of guys that are underperforming, I think you you got to look to the secondary as underperformance, and I think you know it's tough it's tough to pick on a guy, but I think you know Sean Wade has to step it up the rest of this season, and he knows it. Everyone knows it. It's not like I'm saying anything. I'm not. It's not a knock on him. He knows he's got to be better. He said it in interviews, and it's just part of the territory of switching positions. You know, he he talked about it in uh, one of his last media appearances. He said, you know, as a slot corner, you know, you're kind of playing up against the line. You're really it's a really physical thing, and then as an outside corner, you're kind of jumping up with the receivers and trying to high point the ball and make plays. And he's admitted that maybe he's going for too many picks instead of just trying to, you know, uh, swat the ball away. So I think he'll get better. I'm not really worried about it, but I think if you are looking for a guy that Ohio State needs to step up to be a, a championship team and really make this run in the second half, I think Sean Wade is a guy that has to be the guy. He has to look like the first round corner that he was projected coming into this year. I would agree with that. Unfortunately, I don't know if the best shot for a turnaround is going to be uh, this weekend when the Buckeyes are playing against a passing attack that looks as lively as it's ever been for Indiana. And I would also even go further and say Michael Penix probably has the most zip on his arm than any other quarterback that Ohio State's faced so far this year. Kind of almost unrivaled in that sense, which is going to be they're they're just gonna have to make faster decisions, and he's he's a lefty too, so that makes it weird. Right? Yeah, it's the it's gonna be di- he's gonna be dynamic and getting the ball out faster than I think a lot of uh, a lot of Ohio State secondary players are probably used to, just in terms of in game speed um, relative to other quarterbacks they've faced this year. And it's it, it's gonna be tough. I think that this game it's it's much more likely that we see it kind of you know play out in terms of a classic shootout um, than. Uh, you know, the, the typical performances we've seen lately from Ohio State where they just get out, at, you know, two or three scores very far ahead and then just kind of ease off the gas in the second half. Um, and uh, I think that the main reason for that's probably going to fall on the secondary. You brought it up. It's it's really unfortunate that the Maryland game got canceled just because we and we talked about this on the preview show a bit uh, last week. Um, obviously we recorded it before the news came in about the game getting canceled, but, uh, they, they, the offense really needed this game as a tune up for the rushing attack and the defense really needed it as another stress test for the passing attack. And they didn't really get either of those. And I think that's going to be felt on the defensive side. But I am worried it's going to be felt on the offensive side as well going into this because my biggest earned performer for the year so far has been Wyatt Davis, who, Last year, you could make a very legitimate argument was the best offensive lineman in all of college football. Uh, certainly the best guard or interior offensive lineman. Uh, he, he just hasn't quite measured up to that this year. And that's not to say that he's been bad or anything, but he was he was a guy who Ohio State last year could regularly you know, pull or, or send to the second level on these zone uh, running plays 
and he was always nailing his assignments, clearing open huge running lanes for Dobbins or Teague or whoever was coming through the line. And you just have not seen that this year. And you've arguably seen him get outplayed by Nicholas petit Frere, who I don't think anybody would have guessed would have been having a superior season between those two coming into 2020. So I think that a big part of what's going to turn around Ohio State's rushing game, further than other stuff we've talked about before with Harry Miller coming into his own and uh, just, you know, the the offensive coaches figuring out the right roles for the running backs and, and using them consistently, the best player on the offensive line has not played up to that standard yet. Josh Myers has been very good. Thayer Munford has been excellent. Petit Frere has stepped up the way he needs to. But Davis has been, he was the best player on this offensive line last year. He was one of, if not the best in the year before that, arguably. And he just hasn't been in the same, he just hasn't been the same player this year in much of the same way that, you know, Sean Wade hasn't been that that first round caliber guy that has measured up to his talent and what we know he's capable of. So those I think are, I think you hit it on the head in terms of who to watch in the second half of this season to rebound and give Ohio State a little bit of a boost. And I would say the same thing applies on the other side of the ball for Wyatt Davis. In terms of who's overperformed, I mean, there's a lot of different people you could say for that. I'll, you know, I'll try to keep it on the defensive side. I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to pat myself on the back here or anything, but I was a big fan of Tommy Togiai heading into this season, and we didn't know what the situation was going to be with Haskell Garrett. Um, we just knew that there was a lot of replacing that Ohio State was, or reloading rather, as they like to say, that Ohio State was going to have to do alongside the defensive line in order to maintain the front seven. And I think that they've done such a good job uh, up front that it's it's kind of taken some stress off of the linebackers and it's helped them flourish a little bit more on the edge. You've definitely seen that with Pete Werner, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, Baron Browning has had an excellent run the last couple of games, I think. Um, and he, he was even great in the or Yeah, including the – again, it is a couple because they've only played uh, three games. But So that does include the Penn State game. But I uh, they – I, I think that Togi has been a huge presence for them on the interior. Uh, he's even been great as a pass rusher, which I really did not expect. And and Garrett, I don't think that he's really getting the attention that he deserves uh, on a national scale, but he really is, I think, one of the best and most inspiring stories in college football this season. So big ups to Larry Johnson for keeping the Ohio State uh, defensive line up to the standard that it's always been in recent years, even in what was projected to be more of a down year for them. I think if you do want to say there's been a bit of an underachiever with that group, we haven't quite seen as much of Zach Harrison as I think maybe we would have hoped to kind of fill that that Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young role that's been so prominent uh, for the Ohio State defense in recent years. But otherwise, I'm I'm really impressed with what I've seen from the defensive line so far, and I think that we can uh, expect to see a lot of that high level of play from those guys as the season continues. Yeah, and in terms of like not seeing enough of Zach Harrison, I think it's quite literal that we haven't seen enough of Zach Harrison. I don't think he's on the field anywhere near enough. I mean, he's it's been mostly like Jonathan Cooper and Tyler Friday and Tariq Smith on the outside. I think Zach Harrison probably I don't think he's even close to leading the team in snaps at defensive ends. And I know they like to rotate, but I'd like to see Zach Harrison out there a lot more than he is right now because I do think that he is probably the best defensive end on this roster if he's playing consistently. And early in the year, I think Ryan Day alluded to it today in his press conference that 
you know, Zach will continue to see more snaps as the year goes on, but I think they got to start working them in right now. You know, the pass rush hasn't exactly been what it has been in the past few years. And obviously you don't have Chase Young, but I mean, Zach Harrison has been hyped up as the next dude. He's supposed to be the next boast of the next Chase Young. And he's not going to do that in his first year as a starter, but you got to let him kind of get out there and flourish if he's going to even hope to get near that and work for another year next year to grow. So I think they do need to just play Zach Harrison more, honestly. They are going to need more of an, an edge presence in the pass rush if they want to, you know, close out this season with the national title aspirations that I think they have. They've been able to, you know, get away playing, you know, teams that aren't necessarily in the same tier as them. Uh, just kind of with that great interior rush they've gotten from Togiai and Garrett, and and I think that they've gotten, you know, admirable filling in from other spots or or not from other spots, but other players that are playing on the edge. But you haven't seen that guy really excel yet. So if Zach Harrison could fill that role for them, uh, even starting as soon as this weekend, which uh, we'll get to shortly, that that would be huge for them. But yeah, as I as I just alluded to with that Indiana game coming up, um, I know we both have some interesting thoughts on the Hoosiers. Um, they, you know, nine win Indiana, nine win Indiana was a, a huge meme coming into uh, this year for for many years on end, and uh, for what if the Hoosiers haven't had any games canceled yet? Um, oh well. I get well, no, because if they if they they could very much be nine win Indiana in the Big Ten if they run the table and then get that Big Ten uh, championship. So it's uh, it, it's been interesting to watch them play out from the moment they got that overtime win against uh, Penn State with that somewhat ambiguous uh, touchdown call at the end of the game that went in Indiana's favor and I think kind of derailed Penn State's season. It, it's crazy how one. One player, one decision from the refs can end up affecting the fate of two teams so drastically. But um, I don't know. Are you drinking the nine-win Indiana Kool-Aid, uh, Gene? What, where, what's your take on where they're at heading into the Ohio State game? I, I really want to believe in nine-win Indiana. I really do. I, I think Tom Allen is a fantastic coach. I really like Tom Allen. He seems like a, just a genuine good guy who cares about his players, cares about this program. You could see him get, you know, amped up talking about him and just post-game, you know, getting hyped. He, like, tackled one of his players in the game against Michigan after, like, the game-sealing pick. He just seems like a good coach, fun guy to play for. A lot like Ryan Day at Ohio State. They have, seem to have similar coaching styles with kind of the, the tough love mentality, but... I just think, you know, Indiana has overperformed and they have a lot of like weird things about them. And I guess that's every team in the Big Ten this year. But like Indiana has scored 135 total points this year and 51 of those came off turnovers. So more than a third of their offense. They have been starting with the ball on short fields a lot and it's led to a lot of points. And against a team like Ohio State that doesn't really turn the ball over, they're probably not going to have that same fortune in this game. You know, Justin Fields has thrown 437 passes at Ohio State, and he's thrown three picks, and two of them were against Clemson. Justin Fields isn't going to throw three picks against Indiana's defense. He's not Rocky Lombardi. He's not Joe Milton. So, I mean... I really like Indiana's team. I think they have a lot of good players. I think Michael Penix is a great quarterback. He's probably the best quarterback they've had maybe in program history, or at least in quite some time. 
and uh, they do have some good things going for them. But I just think a lot, a little bit of it is an illusion, and you could see that. You know, you could see it in the Vegas line. There's a reason Ohio State's three touchdown favorites over a top ten team. Vegas doesn't really believe that Indiana's good, and I, Vegas is wrong very rarely. So, I really want to believe in them. I like them as a team. I think they've got some really good aspects to them, but I don't know if they're quite the the number nine team in the country right now. So there's there's three things that are somewhat wild card elements that I alluded to a bit earlier that give me some pause when talking about Indiana and relative to how are they going to perform against Ohio State. And the first thing for me is the rushing defense, where I noticed that they gave up about 250 rushing yards in that opening game against Penn State. And in the three games since then, they've given up, you know, barely about 200 rushing yards combined to the three teams afterwards. Uh, And most of those were against uh, Rutgers in the two games against Michigan and Michigan state. They gave up just barely over 70 rushing yards between those two teams. Michigan had 13 rushing yards on 18 carries against it. There you go. So you, you got to wonder. And again, they played, I believe they went down, what 24 to 7 and a half of that game so they didn't there wasn't necessarily an ability for them to you know stay committed to the run as that game uh progressed as you just said they only had 18 carries for their whole team but they you wonder how good that rushing defense really is and it should concern you with a team like Ohio State where you don't necessarily know how good the rushing attack is at this point so it's it makes it a little bit more difficult to wonder if Ohio State's going to be able to play ball control the way that they they like to in a lot of these games where they get out to an early lead and then just kind of you know cruise to victory in the second half. You don't know if they're going to be able to do that in the second half of this game, provided they go up by two or three scores going into the locker room. And if that's not the case, you know Indiana can play in a high gear when they need to. They're not afraid to throw the ball with Michael Penix as much as they possibly need to. So it, it, it makes you a little bit nervous about if Ohio State's going to have to just be on the gas this entire game and, you know, as efficient as Fields has been and not turnover prone, just any time that you're playing at that higher up tempo and just trying to score more points, you are more prone to making mistakes just at a faster decision making. So it's the rushing game, unfortunately, going into this is a big question mark on both sides. And the recent... Just based on performance, you'd have to say recently Indiana looks a little bit more favorable just in terms of figuring out are they good or not. They'll defend the run when they need to based on how you know their last three games have gone. And Ohio State, we, we saw against Rutgers, they weren't necessarily able to consistently get the yards that they wanted uh, to keep you know that game from – or to keep the ball at least from going back in the hands of Rutgers. So it should be interesting to see what happens with that. Another interesting note about rushing, but this time on the offensive side for Indiana, is that I, I keep harping all year on how we don't know necessarily how Ohio State's going to be able to handle dual-threat quarterbacks. They corralled Sean Clifford mostly on the ground in that game, but they're playing, I think, pretty easily the best dual-threat quarterback that they've faced uh, not only this season – but maybe even going back to last Big Ten season, obviously not including uh, Trevor Lawrence in the postseason in that. But they they were very fortunate last year that Penix got hurt, I believe, a week before the game against Indiana last year, and they had to go against Peyton Ramsey. 
And because of that, they were able to get out to a pretty early lead and stay ahead and not really ever feel like they were getting genuinely challenged by Indiana beyond, I think, the first quarter of that one. The interesting thing with Penix is that I don't think he's had a single game this year where he's carried the ball more than six times. And he does have that billing as a a dual-threat QB. And you saw at the end of the Penn State game, the rushing – he had – I think he had a rushing touchdown to tie the game in uh, regulation. And then he had the additional rushing touchdown to send the game to overtime, I believe, or to win the game in overtime, I believe. Or that might have been on the conversion. No, that was on the conversion that they had. So he, you wonder if Indiana kind of likes to use him the same way Ohio State uses Justin Fields, where you don't see a lot of running out of him until they get into the red zone. But I'm also just a little bit worried in the back of my mind of is – are they going to unleash Penix as a runner this game? Cause they haven't really done it all year. And because Ohio state doesn't really have any film on that, are they going to be prepared for that? And I'm worried that if the defense isn't equipped to handle Penix running the ball on those early downs where, you know, they're not necessarily Ohio state's not necessarily going to be in their faster defensive sets. How much is he going to burn them as a runner? And then how much is that going to set up the passing game for them where he Penix is really good at attacking the middle and you know shallow sideline parts of the field where Ohio State has struggled to do, to uh, defend passes this year. What's especially weird to me about Indiana's rushing attack is that the fact that they aren't my- running Michael Penix is odd because their run game has just stunk this year, like really bad. Like C.V. Scott, we've seen in the past, isn't a bad running back. He's got 319 yards on 88 carries this year. It's 3.6 yards per carry. Uh, by comparison, T's got 4.5 yards per carry and Sermon's got 4.8. So their running attack's been even worse than Ohio State's, which, you know, having a mobile quarterback, like you said, they have, they, they're not running him. And it's kind of weird considering how bad the run game has been. And I don't really understand why it's bad because their O-line seems pretty good. They're, they're 27th in the country in sacks allowed. They've only allowed five in four total games. But then you look at their offensive numbers and they're 89th in total offense and 118th in rushing. Uh, just I don't know why they're not using Penix in the ground game more. Maybe, you know, like you said, they're trying to keep him healthy like Justin Fields. But, yeah, I mean, Ohio State's been good against the run this year, and they don't run the ball well. No. So I'm I'm not as – and that's why I'm fairly confident that from the very early part of this game you're going to see a lot of – I mean, it's like you said, Tom Allen is a great coach. I think that he understands what the strengths of this team are. And if he knows that Ohio State's run defense has been, you know, fairly excellent – and they can't really run the ball with their running backs, you know, why why chase after something that you know is not really going to pay any dividends? I, I would expect Indiana to throw the ball a lot this game. Uh, I'm not sure how many times Penix has hit 50 passing attempts this year. I believe he did against Michigan. I'm not sure if he's had to pass that much in any of the other games they've played. Maybe the Penn State game just because that one went to overtime. But I would expect hyper-aggressiveness from Indiana's passing attack out of the gate, and that could make things very uncomfortable for Ohio State very quickly. You did allude to the offensive line, and their offensive line is very good, which also makes me nervous about how that the Ohio State passing rush matches up to that because one thing that I think was evident, um, even if you watch the most recent game with Indiana against Michigan State, is that there's if there are bad habits that Penix has – one of them is he absolutely has happy feet under pressure. And he's more than capable of, you know, scrambling and getting away from it and being able to reset and make a good throw. 
But if there's a, you know, an, an unblocked guy coming in or some kind of stunt blitz that, you know, temporarily confuses the lineman and he feels that pressure coming in, I mean, he will have the tendency to just heave something that is, you know, not catchable for his receivers, but very catchable for the defense and, uh, you know, just kind of not really get the ball where he thinks it's going to go and it ends up being an easy turnover for the other team. So I think if Ohio State is in a position where they can force Penix to speed up his decision making and, you know, make throws that he doesn't necessarily want to, I think that that is going to be the the key recipe to Ohio State stopping Indiana is how many mistakes or how many times are they going to put Penix in a position where he's going to have to think on his feet, so to speak, and potentially open himself up to making a mistake. And uh, Indiana's offensive line is good enough where I don't know if that's going to happen a lot. And it makes me wonder how much that these two teams are going to be trading points this weekend versus Ohio State being able to build on an early existing lead. Yeah, and it isn't just Penix that makes this, you know, passing attack run. They've probably got the best uh, name to talent ratios at wide receiver of any team maybe in the country in their top two guys, Ty Freifogel and Wap Fillior. I mean, those are just two incredible football names, and they're two incredible players. Uh, they've both got 24 catches on the year, Freifogel for 424 and four touchdowns, Fillior for... 287 and a touchdown. So they've got two guys, much like Ohio State. It's kind of the same scenario where Penix likes to throw to his top two guys, just like Fields likes to throw to Olave and Wilson. And so you'll see those guys targeted a lot. And it's going to be on guys like Sean Wade and Seven Banks and whoever lines up on the slot this week to really make sure those guys are locked down or else this Indiana passing attack is legit. They're, like I said, they're 89th in total offense, but that's mostly because they can't run. They're 39th in passing. So this passing attack's legit. And it's something that Ohio State's defense really hasn't had to deal with yet. This year, they haven't played a an air raid team. There, there's not many of them in the Big Ten, but uh, they're they're definitely going to be looking at one this game. And we'll get we'll get to predictions in a minute. I I, I do want to go over you know what you think is going to be the key to Ohio State winning this game. But I will say that I'm I'm fully expecting a very competitive shootout, um, especially given the way college football has trended across the board this season, with defense kind of falling by the wayside across every conference. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of surprise games where suddenly both teams have put up 50 points. I don't know if the Hoosiers are going to hang 50 on Ohio State. In fact, I would definitely say they pro- they're not going to. That would be an alarming cause for concern. Um, but I, I do think that this is going to be a game, at least in the first half, where we see these two teams uh, really, you know, throwing haymakers at each other in terms of effective passing game. But if uh, if Ohio State... And I think we both feel reasonably confident about Ohio State this weekend. But if they're going to pull this out, uh, what do you think the key things that have to happen are or the key things that can happen in order for them to uh, seal the dub on Saturday? Well, I, I do think that this is probably one of the better defenses Ohio State will play this year. Um, they're, Indiana's secondary is pretty legit. Um, they've got they they've been forcing turnovers like none other, and a lot of like their other stats where I said you know it could be could be somewhat of a mirage. You know they're the combined records of their opponents this year are three and thirteen. You know they they have they beat Michigan, they beat Penn State, and they beat uh, Michigan State. Three Put teams some respect that, on Rutgers' name. <laughs> yeah, true, but you know like it's just the the teams that Indiana's beaten aren't exactly good. So how good is this defense really when they're playing against offenses that can't move the ball? So I think if, you know, if Indiana's going to pull this out, it's going to have to really have a full team effort, all hands on deck from Tom Allen. We might see some trick plays like we saw 
uh, for that Rutgers pulled out. And we also saw last year Indiana pull out a trick play. I think their only touchdown of the game last year, Ohio State beat them 51-10 to 10 last year. And, you know, you could throw out a lot of the records in this season, but that is a significant margin of victory and not a lot of turnover has happened on that roster. So I think their one touchdown last year was on a trick play to the tight end that uh, our favorite linebacker kind of just misplayed. But <laughs> I think we're going to have to see some of that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, their defense is good, but I don't know if it's – stop Justin Fields good. I don't think there's a secondary in the country that stopped Justin Fields good, especially when he's throwing to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And for Ohio State, I mean, keys to the game are going to be, you know, trying to get somewhat of a running attack going. You know, you can't, if you're playing against a good secondary, you can't rely on your quarterback to throw 50 times. It's If you do that, he's going to make mistakes no matter how good any quarterback is. They're going to make mistakes with a larger volume. So you're going to need to be able to run the ball a little bit. And this the secondary is going to have to play better than they've played. The efforts they've put up this year probably won't get it done against Indiana. And I'm not worried about, like you said, Indiana is probably not going to put up 50, but they can hang around for a while if this defense isn't playing, you know, at a higher level than they have been. I will say you you hit the nail on the head, I think, pretty early on in, in this show in that so much of Indiana's success this year has come down to their ability to force turnovers. And, you know, it remains to be seen how – you know, the running backs are going to perform uh, this this weekend. But Fields has shown he's not a guy that is privy to turning the ball over very often, um, at least through the air. Um, when he's getting a little pressured a little bit with fumbles, that, that that can be a bit of a different story if you, you know, look at, you know, something like the Penn State game last year. But for the most part, he does an excellent job of taking care of the ball. And I think that the rest of the Ohio State team follows suit. And if Indiana is not able to force turnovers, then they're going to not be in as fortuitous of a position as they have been in a lot of these other games that they've been able to kind of build a lead and hold on uh, in earlier contests. And I think that that pretty much is going to be the difference here. Whoever wins the turnover battle basically wins this game. And obviously that skews much more heavily in Ohio State's favor for doing so than Indiana. But if both teams take care of the ball, like I said, this – the, the shootout potential for this game is exorbitantly high. I don't know what the I don't know if you know what the line is off the or the over under is off on the uh, top of your head. I would be curious to hear that. Just to just wondering how much confidence Vegas has in uh, Indiana being able to score on Ohio State's defense. But sixty six. It's sixty six. Sixty six. Yeah. So I'm Ohio like State I said, is I'm, currently minus twenty and a half at okay. uh, seven o'clock on Tuesday night. That seems a little steep for me, but uh, I don't know about 20 and a half, but 66 sounds about right. I, I would even venture it could probably get higher than that. Um, but in any event, like I said, I'm not a betting man, so take whatever opinions I have about lines and who's setting them with a grain of salt. Um, but in any event, I think we've uh, we've talked about plenty now with respect to Indiana. Uh, let's get to how we think these are finally going to play out. So uh obviously we were both off on our predictions last week given we did not think the game was going to end zero zero uh so sorry for missing that one but um you know gene i've I've asked you to lead a lot with these so i'm going to uh i'm going to lead with this one so that you can uh, either copy from my pick if you think it's good enough or offer up a firm counter i am going to say ohio state wins this game 49 to 35 I think it's all I think it's all touchdowns. I think it's just very, very fast paced game. Um, not a lot of mistakes from Ohio State, but I do think that you're gonna probably see 
you know, some kind of a, a 35 to maybe, you know, 14 or 21 lead going into the half before Ohio State kind of eases off the gas a little bit. Maybe gets outscored by Indiana in the second half. I don't think – this is not a week where you work out a lot of uh, kinks that your teammate has. Uh, you just don't do that in a top 10 matchup. You hopefully have set the table – for something like that happening coming into a game like this where you know you have a guy that's maybe been struggling a little bit more has a bit of a breakout but we haven't really seen Ohio State have the opportunity to kind of get guys going or at least the ones that need it uh, heading into this and the Maryland game I think getting canceled was a big part of that if they had gotten to play the game last week I think regardless of how they would have done against Maryland I would feel much more confident with this being a uh, you know a, a, maybe a three score win or something like that. But given that they're coming off somewhat of a pseudo buy, not necessarily fresh, still have a lot of you know in game things that they need to work out, and uh, the fact that Indiana is rolling, I think this is going to be a lot closer of a game than people expect. But I still expect Ohio State to pull out the win in the end. Yeah. So I mean, here's the deal. This hasn't exactly been a close series throughout history. Ohio State's actually 75 and 12 all time against Indiana. They've won 24 straight, dating back to 1991, five years before I was even born. And so I, I just think that Ohio State is just a better team. And I know, like, I really want to respect Indiana. I think they are good, but I think they've just been playing above the team that they actually are this year against some weaker opponents. And I don't think we're going to see that up against Ohio State. I'm really encouraged by what I heard from the players speaking on Tuesday morning. I think it was Tyler Friday who said, you know, the defense, you know, they didn't like how they performed against Rutgers. They saw what happened out there, and even though they won comfortably, they weren't happy with their performance. And so I think they took this week off to really hammer down some of their stuff. And I mean, this is really the only game they have to focus on until the end of the season. Their next two games are against Illinois and Michigan State. If they, they, if they want to blow the doors off opponents and test some things out, they could do it in those games. They don't have to get fancy in this game. Um, and so I think we're looking at, I'm going to go a little lower scoring than you. I'm going to say 45-24, and I think it's it's pretty comfortable. I think we see kind of the same game script we've seen early on where Ohio State takes an early lead, and then they kind of take their foot off the gas in the second half. I don't think, if Ryan Day isn't running up the score against Rutgers, he's certainly not going to do it in a top 10 matchup. He doesn't need to do it. It's going to, this win will get respect from the committee, you know, as long as Indiana finishes their season and doesn't, you know, crumble after this game if they do lose. I think this will be a game that, you know, one of the marquee wins on Ohio State season, probably the only marquee win. We'll see if Michigan wins another game before Ohio (laughs) State. But I I think it'll be, yeah, I'm going to say 45-24, which is, you know, exactly covering almost it might be a push if the line moves to 21 but I I do think that Indiana's gonna be able to score they might keep it close early but I just think at the end of the day Ohio State has better athletes and I I just don't think that Indiana can do enough to really force Ohio State into mistakes I don't think Justin Fields is gonna throw a bunch of picks I think if he is if he's going to throw a single pick in the regular season I think it could come in this game but, I mean, the man's completed 86% of his passes this season. He's been just unbelievable, and I just think that's going to continue, and we're going to see more of the same. Ohio State's defense will look better. I think they've they've had some time to work it out. I'm, I'm interested to see if they work in some different sets against a higher-passing offense. I think we'll see a lot more Josh Proctor in this game, which I'm all for. And I'm just, you know, I'm pretty confident going in. Just all the things I've read on Indiana, 
a lot of people seem to think that, you know, they're good, but they're they're not number nine good. I don't think they're this is not a true top ten game for Ohio State, regardless of what the AP poll says. And I think they continue to roll. Um if Teague runs for a hundred yards this week, do you think that they'll score seventy, as you alluded to last week against Maryland? <sighs> yeah, I didn't get to I didn't get a chance to be proven wrong, but I, I don't <laughs> think Teague's gonna run for a hundred yards in this game. And even if he did, I think that'd just be more game script. I think Maryland's defense was nowhere near as good as Indiana's. It's the Ohio State is not scoring 70 in this game. And if they do, then they're going to be they'll probably move up to number 2 or number 1 in the country at that rate. I will say it's uh you know Dobbins absolutely tore them up last year when they played, but one of the things that people uh forget is that Teague who uh quietly almost finished with uh not not a thousand, but he finished up with over 750 rushing yards last year as the backup, which is just absolutely tremendous. And uh, his his second best rushing performance of the season actually came against Indiana last year. He took ten carries for a hundred yards, including a forty yard touchdown, where he looked absolutely blistering fast. Although Indiana was probably a little bit fatigued by that point in the game, but he already has had a little bit of a breakout uh, against Indiana in his career. Uh, so it would be nice to see T kind of retain some of that confidence he got in the Indiana game last year and uh, bring that into this weekend. It's been kind of a trend, too, for Ohio State running backs to have big games against Indiana. You know, J.K. Dobbins had a big performance in that game, and then a few years ago there was that game where Zeke had like a 55, a 65, and a 75-yard touchdown all in the same game versus Indiana. So there's been there's been a trend of Ohio State running backs having big games, so maybe an Ohio State running back will break out in this game, but, you know, we kind of talked about it. Indiana's been pretty solid against the run, so probably not, but who knows? Maybe they'll surprise us. Yeah, Dobbins actually, his the first game of his career came against Indiana, and that was when he had his uh, big breakout as a freshman when he was covering for, I believe it was uh, oh Mike man. Weber. Yeah, I was actually yeah, I was at that right. game. I went. That was the season opener. It was a weird Big Ten opener. I went to Bloomington, my friends, and you know Memorial Stadium is nice. I had a good time. the The fans were it was like a seventy percent Ohio State crowd at Indiana, <laughs> but it was a good time. Sure, you guys got a nice OHIO, and that's I always look forward to that happening when I'm on the road for uh, the Northwestern games. Um, but I, yeah, so I think that's uh, we could probably wrap it up there. That's a good set of uh, expectations. Hopefully, a little bit you know more in line with what to expect this week, assuming the game doesn't get canceled, which I'll I'll uh, knock on wood for that right now. I don't know if the mic picked that up or not, but in any event. Uh, we're looking forward to the game this weekend and uh, assuming it does happen uh, we will be back in your ears Sunday with a recap of all the action and uh, yeah it seems like we're anticipating a shootout but hopefully you know we'll have an, an exciting game to talk about either way uh, with a favorable Ohio State result the uh, next time we get together but we want to thank you for tuning in to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Episode 8, as we are halfway through the Ohio State season now. And, uh, yeah, we will be back on Sunday with all the analysis you want and need. So, for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will talk to you all again soon. Take care, folks. See you Sunday. Uh, I'm just going to start over because I just flubbed the name of the podcast incorrectly. Hang out on the Holy Land. No one does that. <laughs>